and welcome to the Sweet Spot on a Farm, episode 29. Um, today I have a guest with me that I've been chasing for pretty much from the beginning since I started the podcast. It took over a year to get this lady to sit down with me and, and have a chat. And uh, that lady is Alicia Bresland of Umberline Preserves. Hi. Hello, everybody. Hello. Hi, Alicia. How are you? Finally grounded. <laughs> yeah, totally. She's changed to the chair. She's not allowed to move until we're finished. Um, I... I really appreciate you sitting down with me and taking the time because I know you, <laughs> your, your life is hectic, you're super busy with family and, and having a farm and making all these beautiful products that we can buy from you. Oh, do you know what? It never stops. It never stops, but it's great. It's coming up to the springtime and there's more and more to do. So you just caught me just in the right time. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just kick off with my first question. Um, I know that you haven't always been a farmer. No. You're from Poland and you basically married into the farm. What made you get into, or is farming something that you were sort of predisposed to or let you, or is it something that you would imagine to be doing years ne ago? Never thought I would actually live on the farm. I always thought I would be a city girl, working in the office, putting up the pounds and being frustrated <laughs> behind the desk. But uh, I always liked digging in the dirt and looking and going to the forest in Poland as well. And that was something that we always did since I was a little girl. Uh, Dad would take us out to the forest to pick uh, mushrooms in the, in the autumn. And towards the end of the summer, we would be picking elderberries and that was something that we always did for making maybe small batches of syrups for the winter of course they were laden with sugar and it was just traditional way of doing it but those uh, foraging expeditions uh, to the near forest they weren't really for keeping us alive they were just for spending the weekends there so there was always a bunch of neighbors going with the big picnic baskets and bottles of wine and sometimes we would be taking trains down to the forest to do that and then spending the whole day really sitting playing the the adults would be going picking mushrooms others would be looking after us and then when we got younger we would be going so you can imagine nice lovely september um sunday and half of the train filled up with people with empty wicker wicker baskets going there for just having good fun and coming back with all those trophies of look at my mushroom this is this is like competition among the you know anglers uh, my fish is bigger when well, my mushroom is bigger look how much <laughs> elderberries i got so that was good fun for us and always nice to be outdoors on the on the sunny september days like that and right up to november you would do that um, and my granny, she was sort of my first inspiration because uh, she would have been always making dandelion syrups and that's the ones that I have today to do. But my da my granny was diabetic and put the amount of sugar she would have used was like Lisa. I don't know how she, how she survived about 40 years being diabetic. But that's what she was doing. And uh, the first recipe I got was actually from her before she died. Um, and it was for the dandelion syrup. And when I came over here... Oh, we had an allotment in Poland as well, so I always would have been picking uh, red currants, black currants. My sister, who was three years younger than me, she would always follow me with an empty basket or empty container and she would be taking a part of mine <laughs> into hers and saying, oh, okay, I've done my bit, so that's it. 
uh, but I, I always like going there and picking different things and um, maybe because it was for free and maybe because it was the seasonal thing and maybe because it was always connected with this sort of leisure aspect that you go there and you pick different pick different things and you're happy spending time out there and whether you have something or you don't pick there's always another day there's always another season to do it and that's how I've learned the seasonality of foraging over there in Poland and I'm trying to still learn it over here as well. I'm not as good uh, with the mushrooms over here but I'm, I'm sort of okay with the plants, buds, seeds and, and berries. So over the years I've learned how to, how to follow the, the nature and the season and pick the best from what it has to offer. So when you came to uh, Northern Ireland, um, what did you do before all the farming craziness started? Uh -huh. Well, that was 21 years ago now, this year, when I came first to Ireland. But I was studying and we had a student exchange um, and um, we were doing some research on the North Coast. And later on, we found the job um, over here in our mine um, places, picking strawberries and raspberries and apples because we, we thought we need more time to stay in Ireland. But it wasn't for research. <laughs> there was just so much of the nice beer <laughs> and the culture festivals that we thought, okay, once we're here, we might as well explore a bit more than just the North Coast. And that's how we stayed and we found a place to stay and, you know, sustain ourselves by getting some seasonal jobs, which were great because you didn't have to think anymore. You could just pick the strawberries and <laughs> recover from your last night's hangover. And I met my husband here at that first year. Um, and then we just kept on meeting together over the summertime and um, he brought me over to the farm and then I brought him over to Poland and that's how the years progressed. But when I finally settled here, I worked in the office and I did some probation in the schools as well because I wanted to be a teacher. Then um, I, got a, I got a proposition of the job to work in the Oxford Island, but at that stage Poland wasn't in the European Union, so I would have to have uh, like a visa. But um, they, they couldn't organize that, so I thought, okay, so I need to think about something myself. But um, I finished um, sort of accountancy, bookkeeping course as well at uh, Queen's, and I thought, okay, I'll get a job at the office first, see what happens. In the meantime, I was working part-time as, um, as a waitress as well in the local posh restaurant called Viscounts uh, in Dengannon, really good one, that I've learned so much about food preparation and um, that sort of foodie aspect just was budding in me. Uh, so when I was working in the office, I wasn't really that happy. And when the opportunity came to actually start my own business, that's what I've done. But it wasn't food, it was actually sterling silver. <laughs> and that's where the name Amberlin comes from. Because um, I did a bit of soldering as well. My sister is after a history of art, so she has a very good knack for um, creating some nice um, things. And she has a good eye for the balance. And I liked making things. So we were actually importing a bit of uh, semi-precious stones and the Polish amber and the silver ore and we were soldering um, different sets of um, jewellery. And that's where the name Amberline came from. So I didn't really change it. Which actually suits me now okay because I'm Alicia Maria Bresson so that's the first three letters. So I said ah, okay let's leave it. Let's not go into this hassle of changing the names and the banks and everything. So I just changed the branch of it. <laughs> Pretty cool. I had no idea I think this where they came so, from. So practical, that's it. And I'm pretty lazy. Me, like, where did you want? Who is Amber Line? <laughs> that's what it is. It comes from Amber and the line of different juries. <laughs> okay, so very tribal. <laughs> I had no 
idea about this. This is really interesting. And so when did it come to the point when you decided, okay, let's take the farm, yeah. farming business and make some food? I think it was when we got um, opportunity of having a stall at St. George's Market. And that was about 12 years ago. Seamus and my late brother-in-law, Tarlok, we got um, an offer to take over a stall from the organic guy who was uh, retiring. So we bought the business off them. And because we had loads of land that w was organic at that stage, um, and the guys were making foliar feeds, conditioners and fertilizers for the organic farmers in the south uh, of Ireland, Scotland, Wales. And uh, there was a big contract going on in the Arabic states as well. Uh, so we thought, okay, so we have this land, we're certified organic. His dad used to farm for years and years. The land hasn't been, uh, you know, contaminated with anything for so many years, even before they were certified. So we thought, okay, so let's grow something as well, because buying and selling is okay. But if you have this potential at the back door, it just makes sense. And at that stage, uh, 12, 13 years ago, there weren't that many Polish shops bringing the Polish veggies over here. And I missed a few varieties. I missed little gherkins and maybe some different uh, varieties of pumpkins, beans and pulses. So I thought, oh, let's try growing it too. And there are polytunnels that are available on the land. So fertilizer is just at the back door. So let's try it out. So I brought actually a few uh, hundreds of samples of uh, bushes and trees and some of them survived, some of them died. <laughs> um, but it was a hit and miss as well and adjusting proper variety to this climate because what you sow and seed in Poland in March <laughs> doesn't necessarily grow over here in March when you still have frost, damp soil and the bad um, uh, conditions. So you have to adjust for that um, uh, weather change or climate change basically and the seasonality. But we've, we've learned that and we've just um, still experiment anyway. I can't get enough of trying to grow different things. And then when we met uh, Jimmy, um, Jimmy Ritchie, the chef, a couple of years ago, he's more experimental as well. So we started growing like blue bananas and sweet potatoes as well and uh, more exotic varieties to see actually if it makes sense or not. These are small quantities, not per pallets or per truckloads, but small quantities to actually... Um, go on offer to the market stall but also to uh, other chefs from local restaurants the ones that like to uh, just go more ambitious and and this is still going on every year is different sometimes it's a total disaster sometimes the the abundance of the crop is just overwhelming and that's how the new recipes come to life as well if you have too much of the particular crop like peppers then you're trying to make something out of it and that's how Amberline actually uh, started, the, the preserve aspect of it, not the jury. Uh, that's how it all uh, evolved, from the surplus of the production of the farm. And also from lack of um, availability of slightly healthier um, alternatives of food available here. So if there was a jam, there was loads of sugar. Lovely jam and everything, but just too much sugar, basically. So, um, and this diet has too much sugar. I think it's due to the weather here. You know, you have dump days and everything is overcast and you just long for that cup of tea and nice oh, muffin. No, 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 you're just making excuses <laughs> for, for the Irish now. Yeah, <laughs> no, not really. The likes of India, these guys eat, or Morocco, these guys eat so much sugar and they do not have an excuse of bad weather because no. there's hot, those yes, are hot yes. climates. So, so what's their excuse? <laughs> um, <laughs> 
tradition, bad tradition, yeah, but, I would say you so, know, yeah. I don't think weather has anything to do with that. <laughs> well, I'm putting it into the weather, <laughs> trying nice. to excuse them. <laughs> and I'm trying to excuse myself too, because I fell into that vortex as well. You know, the amount of tray baits we get over here, and it's just beautiful array of, of people making stuff over here. It's just lovely. But there are ways of making it healthier as well. And if you're, you know, if you're healthy and strong, you can take and enjoy the foods like that. But if you're not really up to scratch, you need to look for alternatives. And that's why I thought I'll come up with some sort of alternatives. And that's how they took on, um, maybe starting nine years ago with a smaller selection of different uh, pickles and preserves and a few traditional jams to offer. And I've tried it with uh, my customers um, who are coming for the range of veggies every week. And they said, yeah, the response is nice. You know, there's good taste. Yeah, and you wouldn't tell that there's no sugar. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, make some more. And that's how it all started rolling. The little wheel kept rolling and rolling and I've added more and more varieties and I'm probably worse than Heinz now. <laughs> I, I would say I have more than 57 varieties of different things. Wow. And this is the problem too, because uh, if you're alone making it and uh, if people like it, you, you have to keep that promise going. <laughs> and if you add every year something different, <laughs> you just have to keep on so delivering. Where, where do you get your inspiration from? Because like your recipes, they're really simple, but mm -hmm. oh my God, the taste, it's delicious. And also the, um, the, the different combinations and the simplicity, but also the variety of, um, of herbs and, and vegetables that you are using. Where is your inspiration coming from and how much has your Polish origin uh, to do with mm -hmm. the food that you're making? I think I was trying to make the range of uh, healthier foods, which means uh, taking or reducing the sugar, first of all, and looking for alternatives. So the, the birch tree extract came to um, a stage uh, as a sugar alternative, and then uh, the honey as well, raw honey. So the, the, the honey that I use in my uh, product uh, comes from Poland, comes from my uncles and my friends' um, hives. And it's very raw, natural, it comes in small batches and it's seasonal as well, so I use that. Um, the birch tree extract comes from uh, Seamus's moss that we sap it and cook it down to like extract, but I'm usually out of it by June, so I have to import it from Finland as well. And then uh, it's just traditional recipe. Simplicity of it is the main thing, but um, the fact that you can uh, capture the natural nutrition from the wild that has been growing there to that optimal level um, and it has a lot of good vitamins and oxidants like from the wild berries um, this is something that I want to capture in the bottle and preserve it and pass it on so it is like nature preserved at her best because nature is a woman <laughs> so it is something that we can preserve her and uh, use her in the winter when we have nothing else um, um, to use. Well, we have a lot to things to use now because there's nothing like seasonality anymore on the markets, in the well, on the shelves of the supermarket. You can get your strawberries and cucumbers and everything all year round. So um, you can, you can, you know, the, there isn't really real seasonality of it. You can see it at the markets and uh, when you go out to the wild you see the seasons changing and you, you wouldn't pick or forage the berries in the springtime. You go for the young leaves and buds and the uh, little flowers um, and sprouts and then in the autumn you turn for the um, for the berries and um, mushrooms and other things 
that are there. So you, you work with the nature and you try to capture it. So that's what it is. So some, some recipes would have been very traditional, like elderberry syrup, that's very traditional Polish one. But you can also play with a few spices and make it more wintry. So I've we, in Poland we wouldn't add anything like cinnamon, green cardamom and cloves. And I add that to um, the elderberry and that makes it nice winter, warmer um, syrup both for the kids and for the adults as well. So you can jazz it up with a bit of fuel <laughs> of the certain kind and, and have it nice in the cocktail or in the, in the drink as well or in the hot whiskey. But you can also give it on the spoon to the kids every day and that um, gives them good boost for, for the winter because uh, the elderberries are naturally full of zinc, antioxidants and um, vitamin C, which, have, which would have been uh, sort of building up in the fruit and its natural uh, pace, um, it wouldn't be forced by propagation and, and growing on the commercial scale. So you go and forage that uh, at a certain time and you get that maximum of the goodness in it. So if you don't obscure it too much, if you don't overcook it and if you don't add anything that would uh, lower the whole goodness of the product, um, then you can make really something nice and good for yourself. Um, you've been mentioning you know, seasonality and 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 um, foraging mm. and wild nature and these are sort of the key words. Is it something that you sort of knew when you went into the business, or is it something that you learned um, along the way? Where did you learn? You know, how did you get to that point? Well, I, th I think because I grew up going around the places and picking different things at the certain times. That was natural. And then uh, my family comes from the family of farmers as well, uh, from my mom's side. Uh, side. Um, so I always spend time in the countryside picking different things and um, learning how to preserve it. And granny and mom, they would always set up and do the preserves um, on the larger scale. So when they were doing gherkins or fermenting the cabbage, that would be like, you know, there would be half a dozen aunties coming in and all night sessions for like two, three days. They would be sitting there and coming in from different, you know, from their houses with their suitcases actually. And then uncles would have followed with like hundreds of bottles or hundreds of uh, jars. And these ladies would have been putting their aprons in that hot kitchen and they would be just processing. So it was like one little processing farm. Um, or plant basically and then they would divide those jars and go home and next week or two weeks later they would have come and divided something else and, and run through it maybe pressing the tomatoes into the um, passatas and then the f preserving making jams and compotes too and then in the in the autumn time they would have been coming and gathering to press the wines <laughs> to make the wine and it's just great and as a little girl you would be sitting and joining them as well maybe to to sort out the gherkins or to keep the lids separate or to close them and wipe them and you would have learned that and it was sometimes exhausting but it was really nice to see how they can gather up together and do it so I wish I could just um, teleport them over here and, <laughs> and help me out with with it and just to replicate that sort of atmosphere of them sitting together and listening to the radio or maybe singing even um, or just um, you know remembering good old times before I was born and listening to those stories it was great experience and really nice sort of family time in a different aspect yeah, still producing but so that's why I'm probably so hyper I can't sit I just need to do something all the time <laughs> Your farm is, it's not just organic growing, because you're pretty much like Heiko's garden. 
from what I understand, your farm is you grow wild. You just let things grow. Yeah, it doesn't really look like a farm. You know, it's quite sort of, um, oh, you know, if it fell, let it fall and we'll see what happens around <laughs> it. So it, it needs a bit of tidying up. That's that's for sure. But it is a very natural farm. And uh, we, well, I need my uh, chickweed. I need my nettles now and I need my puffballs that grow there and I need all those trees of elderberries, birches and the dandelions that are growing at the minute so I wouldn't really run it with the tractor although she is farming and plowing as well but there's loads of hedgerows and they have abundance of fruit and things to offer and that's why I wouldn't really cut them or anything so if you visit my farm it looks really like Jesus what these people are doing here this is just ridiculous but it's it's fine it's fine for me there's space for everything to grow just needs to be tidy up now and again but not too much <laughs> so, you so it is part of the farming far, um, farming slash foraging yeah we have potty tunnels and we grow everything from the ground and they have this little cover um, maybe just to keep more fragile plants from the weather elements but uh, there's a lot of things growing that I need and I wouldn't really jeopardize the space you know there's enough space for everything yeah for the for the 20 nets of pheasants for two horses that do the job as lawnmowers and um, for the wild cats running about that's space for humans as well there so not a problem <laughs> so you're employing organic farming you're employing foraging and, and wild mm -hmm. growing it's not even i can't even call it permaculture because you, you've gone way beyond the same as high coded i would like to think so same. but i'm probably not as well organized as they are <laughs> <laughs> well i thing. don't know <laughs> But you also started fermenting a number of years ago. Mm -hmm. So where did that come from? Because I presume that's also a, a Polish tradition. Because yeah, I, I yeah, know very from much so. us, like yeah. sauerkraut and things like that. This would be much... a part of our diet. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes. Um, Germans, Czechs and Slovaks and uh, Austrians and everybody else in the world really would have been fermenting something. But over here... I always would have fermented a bit of milk and then I've learned from a, a good friend of mine, a customer of mine, he told me how to ferment kombucha as well and he gave me the first scoby which I still have and this is just lovely because it's like passing it on to others and um, uh, I've learned from others, some uh, lady from Dublin gave me a recipe for a ginger bug so I started this and someone was leaving for their own country and left me the big jar of um, water kefir grains too and then I met Debra once and I didn't have my milk kefirs and she was doing fermentation so I got the milk kefirs of her and then I've just added other things cabbage and because I started selling it it was nice to have a, a certain range of products so I started mocking about with the uh, with the sauerkraut adding different ingredients to see if they can take on the color and be more presentable and customers liked it so I kept on making it and it was good good thing as well because the probiotic foods, as we call it, and which I can't put on the labels because it's all, you know, reserved name for the synthetic things. These are natural foods that would have been with us for centuries and people always benefited from eating them. And they always made us healthy um, in some ways. We didn't realize how healthy they are. We just knew that in the winter we have to eat loads of cabbage in Poland. Why? We didn't know. But now we know the research has been done. So we know it's because of good gut bacteria present there. So if you do it in a certain way and you can capture that uh, goodness and of those probiotics living in those good raw foods, 
then you can share it with others and that's what it was and because cabbage is so commonly grown here and you can have it by tons basically i always had extra so i always made something that wouldn't go to waste from from the farm just recently we had what what did we do we did that mahamra sauce and capsidora out of the red peppers and yellow peppers and that's because of the surprise from the farm so we've mocked up something nice <laughs> i love your your pestos and and your fermented stuff the variety of mm. of sauerkraut <laughs> and your kimchi is just out of the world and i used to make my own but yours is just better <laughs> it saves you time <laughs> whatever whatever you put in it like your combinations are amazing you make that ruby one and then you mm -hmm. make that celtic one with and the kale. citrus remember the citrus the zingy one too yeah last your year, golden yeah. one the golden curl with your golden beetroot oh my yeah. god that is beetroot turmeric and black pepper so all How you need is come up with that combination I think I needed some extra color on the shelves, <laughs> first of all, and then I had extra beetroot, so I thought, okay, that'll do for the for the golden kraut. And then I thought, okay, why not to make it a bit more healthy, adding the turmeric. But then if you add turmeric, you need black pepper. And then if you tell people to slash a bit of avocado or add some olive oil, then it's a very healthy combination for the turmeric pepper and the oils working in more medicinal way rather than just munching. But it's only food. So you just eat it um, as you're pleased and you just make yourself happy because <laughs> eating yourself healthy is the happiest way <laughs> now, now to the good health. Because you make a lot of the probiotic foods that we can't really officially call probiotic mm -hmm. um, and you make all those diabetic friendly, you have the mm -hmm. diabetic friendly range as well which yeah. you make with the birch syrup and I know you had to get these products tested. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't realize when they go and buy, you know, because your products, let's face it, they're not cheap, but they're not cheap for a reason. And there, on the other hand, there is a reason why simple products on supermarket shelves, why they are so much cheaper. Well, yeah. you know, there's the quality comparison. They really can't be. It's like day and night. You can't really compare. No. The quality you, of your you can food. have the same taste, which is OK, because people always buy with their eyes touch, smell, and you you work on the senses when you buy something as well. It's not necessarily the, the price tag. but um, So you need to resemble the same uh, taste and the, the good quality of it. But um, I'm nowhere near large production plants and firing, you know, thousands of jams every day. Um, I wish I could, but uh, I probably would never get there and I don't really want to go there. Because with with the asp with my aspect of foraging, putting time and effort to go and pick it, um, and then process it, you, you never can get to that sort of larger scale of production, and you can't be really creative at that stage. Mm -hmm. You need to follow certain rules, and my batch, um, fortunately or unfortunately, differs um, every now and again. So you would have a bit extra, maybe um, pepper in the sauce, or you would have. Uh, different ratio which shouldn't be like that I like to follow the recipes but I understand that every batch is a bit different and that's why I like to try it and test it with the customers at the market they can tell me oh this one was too dry or oh, this one had lovely lovely taste but the other one was a yuck so it, it's nice to evolve like that as well and then work out your recipe so over the years I've, I've learned that as well so I'm trying to follow the proper pattern and my recipes are more or less quite similar nowadays. There's a lot of regulation nowadays too, especially regarding the allergens and there's a big risk. So labeling is very, very important. I'm still not there at, at the end. I'm trying to um, make the proper labeling too, but the product needs to be tested in regards of the, the bad bacteria present, especially in those raw 
products uh, like the, the probiotic sort of range or the, the fermented foods. I need to rule out any presence of bad bacteria, which actually rules out itself because the good good bacteria takes over the bad ones. We've tested E. coli and a um, couple of other um, uh, strains of bacteria and the, the good guys take over the bad ones. So th this is a very good thing. But nevertheless, you need to have that done. And that costs a bit of money. Time-wise, it's okay. You get results really quickly within a couple of weeks, but um, it's a cost involved in it. And then you need to break your sugars down as well in the diabetic range to be able to ensure a mother that comes with a kid that this is that amount of sugar in it. So if you're adjusting your insulin jab, this is what you can expect. Um, and uh, But I can't, on the other hand, I can't really sell it as a healthy product. I can only say that this is a food supplement. It, this isn't something that will make you um, healthier, but this is your alternative. So it, it's your choice. Here's the sample, try it and see if you like it. Remember that this is a food with different ingredients in it and it can substitute for traditional sugar laden uh, jam or let's say sweetener, artificial synthetic sweetener laden um, uh, jam. And this is something that we need to work on as well. Sometimes taking away sugar doesn't necessarily mean that the product is healthier um, because it can have a substitute. The same is with the fats. We have loads of range of uh, fat-free yogurts and things, but what's inside instead of it? This is something that we need to really think of. And I can understand buying the food that is unrefined, unprocessed, raw and true and natural is not necessarily cheaper. But if we change that way of thinking and go for unprocessed foods, we will soon know that our body reacts to this in a very positive way because we are actually nourishing it rather than just filling up the tummy and then having to deal with the problems with digestion and everything else that follows um, and has an impact on our health. We are what we eat, and this is such a simple and just washed out saying, but it's so true. So whatever we put to our mouths, we need to think twice. Not, not really, you know. <laughs> now and again, you can let yourself go. But if you're healthy, you can build a really good buffer and bounce off anything that occasionally isn't good. Like, I like my black coffee. I like my uh, red wine. I like to now and again have a good uh, glass of uh, gin and no tonic <laughs> and just live life to full. And I still, you know, like a nice proper muffin. And But I like to um, work on the proper balance. And there were millions of pounds spent recently saying that good fermented foods uh, make us happy. Well, of course they make us happy. Simple conclusion, costing so much money. Now, if you're eating good foods and if you're eating your fermented foods with it that help to clean up your gut, uh, so whatever lunch and dinner comes, you absorb more nutrition, uh, your body feels better. Your, your portions gradually start to be smaller on the plate um, because you get enough energy from your food that you've just absorbed. Um, you're not bloated um, and you can uh, jump and skip and run so you have more energy then this is natural one that you feel happier who wouldn't pity i can stick it on the label alicia and i talked for over an hour or so so i've split the episode in two again but i am giving you both parts at the same time so you don't have to wait two weeks which is a bonus i hope you appreciate that both parts are available right now and if you did enjoy this one and have another spare half hour you can totally tune in and listen to the second one 
The whole episode was recorded back in April and it's June now, so I do apologize for such a late release. I had to turn my focus to my studies. So for those of you who know I've gone mad and decided to turn back to education, I will be talking about the exams and a lot more in another episode with James Perry, the very exam coach who helped me with my exams prep strategy. And it's safe to say he saved my butt. For now, I'll just tell you that exams are over and the podcast is back with a lineup of some really great guests and topics for you to look forward to. If you enjoyed this episode, please, please leave us a comment on Instagram or SoundCloud or even better, rate the podcast on iTunes and leave us a little review if that happens to be the platform you use to listen to us. And share. Share with your family, share with your friends, share with everybody to to help us reach wider audience and if you'd like to try some of alicia's wonderful food pop into st george's market in belfast on saturday or sunday she's there every week with how to fail or check out her website www.amberlinepreserves.com for more information and a list of stockists and that's it for now go on and tune into the second part and if not have a lovely couple of weeks Make some good, simple food and whatever you do, stay healthy. Until next time. Bye. As every week, your host is myself, Susanna from The Sweet Spot. Music by Mark J. Adair and artwork by Gemma O'Hagan. Thank you for listening. <laughs>